0: Welcome to Subtitles On. You're here with Fee and Jay. And this week, we're talking about climate change and companies, and we're joined with Kira Peacock, who's a commercial litigation partner here at Mark's Lawyers. Among disputes, Kira specializes in administrative law, government, and policy, and is our resident expert on all things climate change. Welcome, Kira. Hi, Jay and Lovely to be here. (laughs) So lovely to have you.
1: How are you going? I'm well. I've just come out of the Smart Energy Conference, which oh. is being held in Sydney at the moment, so it's a really topical time to be talking about these issues. It was very exciting. It was excellent. It's still going on today. Yeah,
0: yeah, it nice was. one. Okay, nice. hey, before we jump into the nitty gritty of climate change and companies, I actually just wanted to share a hilarious story about a link that you posted to Giselle and I a couple of weeks ago. So um, a couple of weeks ago, Kira posted a link to us about this essentially Dragon's Den idea that came out of Germany, where it was these two men who decided they would fix a problem for all women. The problem being how difficult it is to, I guess, dispose of sanitary products for women. And so they developed this innovative product called the Pink Glove. Now, for all of the females listening, as you would likely know, there is no problem (laughs) with disposal of your sanitary product. Um, And there also is a, a huge problem into male entrepreneurs suggesting that there is such a problem. And then the solution being a glove, which is pink. So offensive as being the solution to what what could help women get rid of these products.
1: The thing that I think we had like lots of chats back about it and like one of the things was okay, if we thought we needed a glove it's not like gloves haven't been invented. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I think the difference with this one was it turned into a little bag Um, so you could just discreetly
0: dispose of of it. Every every glove (laughs) 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 is a a a little bag. Sorry, also, the other thing, why does it, it need to be pink? Well,
1: why does it need to be pink? But also, okay, there is a flaw with does this product, which I hadn't thought about until someone else was talking about it, and then I realised you actually need two gloves. <laughs> like Sorry, work. this
0: is assuming you need it a glove. <laughs> okay, you, you don't. don't need a it, <laughs> be,
1: but it just doesn't work. None of
0: it works. None of it worked. I thought it was just the funniest thing. And, Kira, you were just saying – That they actually had to retract this.
1: Yes, I think they were like they said, "Oh, sorry, we've now listened to the women um, and (laughs) understand. Perhaps we were a little bit off off the mark with that design." And um, but I think the most interesting part was the commentary. Like, well, imagine if that money was given to a female entrepreneur or a female founder, what she could do with that money rather than giving it to a man to design a product for women that yeah. we don't need yeah. or want. Yeah. And I've been thinking about that in the context of the vaccines um, for COVID lately as well, where you have a product that was designed by a man being like the contraceptive pill. Yeah. And for how long we've... I, I certainly have never really questioned yeah. the risk that is inherent in taking the pill because you just accept that's a consequence yeah. of what is not really a choice to yeah. take it, but you might get blood clots. I've had two really good friends who've had blood clots caused by the pill mm. and now you see when that situation might affect a man in the form of the covid vaccine the whole world is or you know australia yeah. is like well that's a, a such a significant yeah. risk and we must it's not okay it's yeah, yeah we we, we, it. we need to demand better of our pharmaceutical companies yeah. but no the apathy yeah, towards <laughs> the pill is like okay absolutely yeah very good. Talk about climate change, that's what we're here today to talk about. So this week's been really interesting. I mean, you've been at your um, conference yesterday. We had the federal budget, which was handed down on Tuesday. Uh, Sadly, that was kind of missing. I think a lot of funding for any renewables, um, or there was limited funding there. There wasn't much about climate action at all. I think we've got the backdrop, obviously, of the recent talks um, with all the various nations and Biden coming out and saying, you know. US is now pushing to increase its targets for 2030, 2050, et cetera, Australia saying we're not going to do, we're not going to change. And then I think the other thing that's really interesting as a bit of a backdrop is then obviously the, the response that we've seen across the world in terms of COVID and particularly, I guess, with stimulus initiatives and what people, what governments around the world have taken this opportunity to spend money on. There was a UN report in March which came out and unfortunately we got the wooden spoon, Australia came last in terms of the spending that we put in for green recovery initiatives. I think you've got France and Germany who have basically spent about 50% of their stimulus initiatives in kind of taking this opportunity to really make a change um, for the world. So I guess with that backdrop, what we wanted to chat to you or ask you about today was could you explain to our listeners What is the legislative background or kind of international agreements that we've got in place for climate change? What is Australia Party to? What have we agreed to? And what is the Australian government's kind of, what are they doing, really? Yeah. I think that's a really good summary of the current state of the world. And the other thing I would add to that is that in November of this year, there's a um, UN conference COP26, which is being held in the UK, which will also kind of really create some further goals and, and direction for the world on climate and it'll be really interesting to see how Australia approaches that mm-hmm. conference. In terms of Australia, climate, the climate agreements that we've got around the world do change fairly regularly and, and the state of our understanding of what's needed changes all the time and it was really interesting at the conference I was at yesterday Malcolm Turnbull spoke and was just reflecting on his own approach to what we need to address climate change. And he said back in 2016, he was a fan of carbon capture and thought that was a, a positive solution. So that's where we kind of accept that there will be carbon going into the atmosphere, but we try and capture it and store it um, so that it doesn't get released. He's now, that like in the last few years, he's against that now. He doesn't think that's a solution. He thinks it's all about we need to, you know, reduce carbon emissions and find ways to actually draw carbon back in Mm. Yeah. Rather than store it, um, so it is a it's a fast changing area, mm. which is will also give some I guess context to what some other countries are doing, which I'll speak about in a second. But the main agreement that we've got at the moment is the Paris Agreement from 2016, and that sets a global benchmark for net zero emissions by 2050. Can I ask a question? Okay. So before we go on, just with net zero emissions, what does yeah. that mean? Mm. So it means that the emissions going out in to the atmosphere and what we're able to offset is at zero. So there's no positive amount of emissions going into the atmosphere. So the Paris Agreement sets a target of net zero by 2050. That is policy decision of the Australian Government to enter into that agreement. For people who are familiar with Australian law, government policy doesn't translate into legislation. It still needs to be then incorporated into domestic legislation by Parliament for it to have any real binding effect.
0: Which it sounds like we haven't done. So
1: we haven't done that. <laughs> <it. laughs> right. um, there's currently a um, bill before Parliament which is put forward by um, the Wurrunga Independent, Zali Stegall, and mm-hmm. that's called the Climate, yeah, Climate Act. And that's seeking to legislate in Australia this goal of net zero emissions by 2050 what legislating that goal means is that it then dictates a lot of other government policy and laws around how we then get there so it's not a unique thing to legislate many other countries in the world have done it, have done it. the UK did it in about 2008 I think mm-hmm. they've actually recently increased their legislative target so the way they've done it is they've said we take our 1990 levels and we are setting targets for how much we want to reduce our current um, carbon emissions on 1990 levels so at the moment they just increase that so they want to reduce their um, emissions on 1990 levels to 78 percent by 2035 which is a pretty massive um, de- decrease yeah, yeah and that that's all on their kind of path to net zero by 2050 so they're setting some really ambitious targets for themselves and the talk around that is that's going to then create I guess, complementary laws or complementary government policies and incentives around electric vehicles, right. uh, carbon, low carbon forms of energy, mm. renewables and the like. So I think the real key thing to understand is that by setting a legislative target, you are having a real flow and effect on industry and other government uh, policy and regulation. Okay, one thing I picked up on that, That you'd said was so. UK has gone back to 1990 with they're pegging their kind of what they want to reduce Mm -hmm. against, but the rest of the world's like 2005. Is that right? Yeah. So 2005 was when the Kyoto Agreement um, was settled upon um, by the international community. So Australia, our target, which is just in policy, not in legislation, is that we want to reduce our emissions by about 26 to 28 percent on 2005 levels by uh, 2030. And the US, by comparison, has just announced um, that it wants to reduce its levels from 2005 by 50% um, by 2030. So we're kind of quite starkly even behind the US, let alone the difference between the 1990-2005 levels um, in the UK context. And I think, like, the science... The scientific community, kind of similar to what you are saying before, it's like obviously everything is changing, you know, and like what Malcolm Turnbull was saying, you know, what we thought we had to do a few years yeah. ago, we now it's changed. And I think certainly our targets are vastly under what they need to be. Yeah. I don't think that we're – well, it doesn't seem like we're achieving them. Well, the, the, the government keeps saying that we're on track to achieve them, but the reason why we're on track is because under the Paris Agreement, the country was allowed to, I guess – carry over credits from some of the work they'd done based on Kyoto. So mm-hmm. if they had really good results following on the, from the Kyoto Agreement in 2005, they Maybe were able to kind of count that towards their future goals. Right. And so when you look at it in that context, we're actually even further behind <laughs> yeah. because we're effectively okay, digging into our been... savings yeah. of climate of redu- reduced emissions. Right. So it's like a really nifty yeah. accounting exercise. <laughs> a <little> bit, yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's really interesting. So I think what would be cool to talk about is, I mean, I guess I get the feel that in Australia I think a lot of the community feels that the government isn't doing enough. I mean, I think that's a sentiment kind of across the world. You've got the likes of Greta, mm-hmm. you know, kids striking, etc. There is a school strike coming up, I think, Is it a school strike coming up next week? Yes, on the 21st of May, there's a school strike for climate. Um, People might remember that there was one in September of 2019 where thousands of students across the country and the world actually um, went on strike for climate. And that then led to a whole range of businesses Mm. also supporting the students and saying, this this shouldn't just be an issue for students. Mm. We also believe in this and we want to support the students in their strike. And um, that led in... Australia to a campaign called the not business as usual campaign. Yep. Basically what it says, <laughs> um, this yeah. is not business as usual. Yeah. This is a real issue and we the business community need to take action in respect of it. Um, and that campaign's being run again this time. So next Friday there'll be a whole bunch of like really cool businesses like Atlassian and Canva, mm. um and Future Mark and yeah and Mark Lewis, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: kind
1: of out there supporting the students and, and encouraging their staff to to get out there and support yeah like, this incredibly important issue.
0: So if we dive a little bit into mm-hmm. that kind of nexus of climate change and companies, <laughs> why does it matter for companies, I suppose, is is kind of a blanket question. It's obviously been a hot topic and the two haven't really come together a lot in the past Mm -hmm. it's kind of been separated okay climate change is a government thing that they deal with it however it seems now that actually there's a little bit of a change and businesses are going actually perhaps actually society is saying businesses also need to do something
1: yeah it's been really interesting to watch it's i guess it can come down a little bit to a chicken and egg type situation like what comes first was it the businesses starting to move that's prompted reform or was it you know, mm. the societal pressure that's prompted it. And yeah. in various areas it's the is probably different. So there's always been obviously some businesses which are very proud of their environmental credentials and want to make a really positive impact. And where we see it, Mark as a B Corp and, and that's kind of quite integral yeah. to our business purpose and considering our impact on stakeholders um, such as the environment and future generations and issues of justice which are increasingly becoming part of this climate mm. issue. There's kind of underpinning that you've also then had consumers demanding environmental, environmentally friendly or environmentally conscious um, decisions from organisations. Then you've had, I guess, and I guess they're the carrots in this, then you've got the sticks, which are the regulators starting to come in and saying, for example, ASIC and the ASX starting to say that we demand or we require throughout kind of coercive processes that companies consider mm-hmm. these issues and we and they and I'm not sure where they have been driven from in I know that there's a global task force on climate and financial disclosure which has set out principles and I think they have impacted on the decisions mm-hmm. of the ASX and ASIC then there's also the real I guess the real stick uh, which is the risk of litigation Mm-hmm. And we've seen climate-related litigation being brought against super comp- superannuation um, yeah. trustees. We've seen it being brought against the Australian government. So there's this real, uh, yeah. very real threat now that if companies aren't taking climate change seriously, they'll be at kind of risk of either regulatory action yeah. or uh, litigation. Who often is, I guess, the one bringing that litigation so in the context of the superannuation fund, so there's a case called McVeach v. REST which uh, settled at the end of last year that mm-hmm. was basically McVeach was a member of the superannuation fund and he asked um, his the trustees of so REST to tell him how they were considering climate change in their investments. Mm. And he said that then led into a case about that they had a duty mm-hmm. as directors or as trustees of a superannuation fund to consider those risks and to disclose to him what how they were considering it so it wasn't saying necessarily they needed to take action on it but in yeah. exercising their duty of care and diligence they needed to show that they were actually considering you know what was the risk of stranded assets yeah what was the risk of um physical impacts on assets they had then also as we're moving into this kind of where the regulators and the financial world is cracking down on climate risk, mm-hmm. what, what does that mean then for my investments? Um, exactly. And so that was a really successful piece of litigation in kind of
0: confirming mm-hmm. that
1: there is this obligation to consider.
0: So it's it's essentially their own shareholders of a company are saying, actually, you need to do better. And this is almost a little bit where maybe our world collides with yours Mm -hmm. (laughs) in that kind of corporate governance and director's duties point and obviously the litigation impending from shareholders. And as you said, shareholders saying, actually, we demand more. We need to see some action put in place here. There was a report, I think, that came out about um, kind of director's duties and climate change.
1: Yeah, so that's actually something else I should have mentioned. And it's interesting for us because we're lawyers who – like to use the law for good, and we're very conscious of our broader social purpose and the way that we can use our knowledge to both educate people and create change. And there was an opinion that was commissioned um, of Noel Hutley SC, who is a very uh, pre- one of the most preeminent barristers at the Sydney Bar, and that was the questions posed to him, and that he then considered in this public opinion were at, in 2016: Is there a duty? Um, on directors and in particular on trustees of superannuation funds to consider these risks and he answered it, that yes, the, the kind of increasing weight of scientific knowledge about climate change would make would risk making a director or a trustee negligent if they did not consider yep. what impact climate change would have on its portfolio. Then that, then that was broadened in 2019 to consider, I think, Directors and of companies more generally rather than just the obligations of a superannuation trustee. Mm. And then he's more recently come out and I think about a few weeks ago published a new opinion, which is taking it to the next level and saying, really, in exercising that due care and diligence, it requires you, the director, to be staying properly abreast of what's happening in climate change to almost proactively be conducting you know um, due diligence on the assets and, and considering yeah. those really specific implications of climate change it still doesn't necessarily require you to divest of assets but yeah the more we know that and the more and the more the world is changing that the higher the obligation is on directors to consider these issues yeah. it also touched on greenwashing yeah it? and so i mean i think maybe could you talk a little bit about that? Because I think from a practical point of view, it'd be helpful to share with people what you think in terms of, okay, so if you are sitting on a board, yeah. what do you need to be careful of? What are the things you need to talk about? Yeah. So greenwashing is a I guess a, <laughs> a nice name given to misleading or deceptive conduct and it it's basically where a company represents that it's either doing certain things or has particular credentials or a particular approach in this case to climate change and the environment which is not actually support not actually supported by what they do yeah and that it's certainly something for the ACCC which is our regulator for um, consumer law and looks a lot at misleading or deceptive conduct by companies it's certainly something they've had their attention on for the last couple of years because you know we all see like this product's organic this product you know mm-hmm. is produced locally or sustainably and there are a lot of words which don't have an objective meaning we kind of import into them what we consider them to be Mm -hmm. Um, and so that will take kind of increased Mm -hmm. increasing focus so I think businesses need to be really aware it's not enough to just kind of give the appearance that you're taking action on these issues or that you know your business is considering the impacts of climate change it needs to be supported by what you're actually doing
0: it often sounds a lot with climate change and stuff that we're we're talking about kind of big companies and what they can do however i think starting to contemplate and think about your footprint from a very early stage can also be helpful would you have any tips for almost founders and how they can create good corporate governance practices around climate change kind of from the start
1: i think that's a really good point because a lot of what we've seen in australia in terms of regulatory action is you know if you're it's focused on listed companies mm. so it doesn't apply to a small proprietary limited company asics not going to be super concerned about what a small company is doing but If the world is moving to net zero and even if we don't have it legislated in Australia, if that's where everyone's heading, there's another issue of countries like the EU is proposing to start imposing carbon taxes where they'll tax goods which are carbon intensive. If that's where the world's heading, then what does that mean if you're a supplier to businesses or if you're involved in further down the supply chain? Because ultimately it's the the companies at the top of the supply chain that – will need to start interrogating their own supply chain to make sure that they're not in their supply, they're not capturing high intensity or working with businesses that don't necessarily support their goal of achieving net zero. So setting yourself up kind of in that way at the start... Mm-hmm. and setting up a clear kind of strategy for how you're going to consider climate change within the context of your business. And that would obviously be very different if you're a service industry compared to yeah. a manufacturing business. But considering what your kind of policy is, making sure that policy reflects what you're actually doing and that you check in with that every so often because, like we said, it changes all the time mm-hmm. um, and it can change and mm-hmm. it should change. Yeah. But so having that implemented from the start will actually probably even just be a good business decision because you'll be more appealing to the kind of upper echelons of the supply chain yeah. to engage with. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, and we, we've we started seeing, haven't we, in our commercial team where yeah. big suppliers are now dictating yeah. um, that you do, that you can support, that you have whatever a climate action policy or um, and, and will only basically deal with you if you do have that. And so... In that sense, it kind of limits, I guess, who you can and cannot do business with. Um, Yeah, and I saw that Salesforce recently had announced that they were putting clauses into their agreements that, um, I don't know, I can't recall whether it was that they required a net zero target from their suppliers Mm -hmm. or whether they needed, you know, audit rights over um, what that company was doing in respect of climate change. But that will only increase and so it's just, it makes kind of business sense to be on the front foot of it and to kind of go beyond what we're currently required to do in Australia because it will just improve your business prospects longer term. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So Kira, I guess just would love to know your thoughts. Like what are your predictions? for this year I think I think we've got a federal election coming up I mean what what do you kind of see happening in Australia so there's a really big push at the moment and it was interesting being at the conference yesterday where a few members including Malcolm Turnbull spoke about how important independent candidates will probably be at the next election as as a means of achieving change on climate because I think we're almost reaching the point where the business community is done and is doing as much as it can mm-hmm. and They're crying out for government like actual legislation to drive this because we all know that laws do drive change and if the government does legislate to create either a net zero goal and then have an ancillary organisation which sets out how the government will propose to achieve that, then that will drive kind of innovation. It will flag to people where... The opportunities are to develop technology and it's that's how you stimulate this issue rather than just relying effectively on kind of investors to be willing to put their money into what may fail because it's all it's all experimental at the moment so i think the business community is like we're doing as much as we can here you've got mining companies who are committing to net zero and so the the real thing that needs to change is the government or the government policy and so, yeah, like you said, there could be an election at the end of this year, but by no, by no later than May of next year. Yep. So it will be really interesting to see whether this kind of groundswell of movement, and particular the kind of attention towards independent candidates as a means of getting action on climate, will have an impact on government policy. It hasn't to date. Yep. And then there's also the pressure around the world. The UK has very openly spoken about how it intends to use its presence in countries around the world and also its uh, I guess authority to effectively bully companies mm. or bully countries into falling into line with what mm. the Paris Agreement says and what the world expects so mm. and you know we've got Biden Biden's in the US the who's run. also yeah. going to do that so you've got these fairly major powers China's committed to it mm. like that. I feel like there must come a point at which the government has to respond to that. Um, It's just disappointing that it hasn't to date. So I think business will continue to improve and we'll see more companies committing to these targets and and developing strategies to, to work towards it. But the real missing link is what the government's going to do about it.
0: I think that's probably all we had to cover Thank you so much for joining us today, Kira. It's been an absolute pleasure. As always, if you have any questions, just message us either on Instagram or through our emails, which are on the website, subtitleson.com.